magnificent morning, folks. This is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast. Her is an acronym for heroic, empowering, and resilient. And this is a self-improvement, self-acceptance, and women empowerment podcast. My main purpose is to encourage, empower, and motivate all women by highlighting their personal stories of triumph over adversity. Each of us has a story. Maybe it's an illness, a financial burden, or a dead-end job. In general, unforeseen circumstances can make you feel isolated or alone. When you feel like you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean that it is the end of your story. It is within the darkest nights we produce the brightest stars. There are women out there who have gone through the very same barriers you are facing today, but they didn't give up. In fact, they use their difficulties to mold them into strong and resilient women. And if they can break through their hardships, so can you, because you are her. Heroic, empowering, and resilient. And good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Again, this is Janae Jameson, Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast. I'm super excited this morning to have with me a guest who is open and who is transparent and willing to just share her story. Um, you know, her story, it was initially created as a safe space for women to be transparent, to share their journey so we can learn from each other, so we can build from each other, so you can share different resources. And throughout the past two years, it really has grown. And um, I'm just, you know, really motivated to hear what has led Sharice here within her journey. And um, so today I have with me Sharice Laron. She is a graduate from FAMU. So shout out to HBCUs. She received her master's from Tulane University. She is also a journalist and a realtor. Again, I love ladies who are multifaceted, who are innovative, and who like to try different things. She recently, she launched her blog, ShariceLaron.com, as a safe space for women to relate, to release, and heal as she shares her journey. So I love it. Again, the same commonality as her story. Sharice, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, I'm really, really excited to be speaking with you today about this. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. And no problem. And, and shout out to the home team as well. Sharice is from New Orleans. Um, I, I'm currently in New Orleans, well, right outside of New Orleans in Metairie. I'm originally from Louisiana myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, yeah, you in the area. You're right. In the area. So super excited about that. You know, uh, the past few years, her story, we've, you know, touched women throughout the story and sharing their stories. But I always get excited when someone is from Louisiana. So again, shout out to the home team. Shout out to New Orleans. Yes. (laughs) No love. No love, Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So happy to have you. Um, and you know, Thank you. Thank you, you. you're definitely welcome. And you know, I've, I've shared a little bit in the intro about you and your journey, but, um, this is a, a subject that I love to explore, right? Because as women and as young girls, we're raised or we're, we're taught to be mothers. That's like our lifelong dream or for us to be a wife, that's a lifelong dream. And often right. when, Things happen unexpectedly or, you know, life throws us different curveballs. And in your situation would appear to be a perfect marriage or life that wasn't necessarily the reality. And you being transparent and sharing your story, that's definitely what we need. You know, um, 
it's unique because you said after five years. So it wasn't after a year. It wasn't after a few months. It was years that was invested into the relationship and the marriage that you initially, that was when you found that strength, right? That strength to step away from a toxic relationship. Right. And the, the good thing about it, Sharice, is that there is triumph at the end of your story and you are here today to share it, right? So, um, yes, yes, I am. Let, let's get into that. You know, um, the, the first thing mm-hmm. I would like to get more information around because it's, it's always just a, a peak of curiosity within um, mm-hmm. myself when I look at different relationships and things. How many years did you invest in relationship prior to your dating and your relationship with your, um, you know, with your ex and your family? How did that all play a role within your marriage? But of course, you know, you take the lead and let's get some background about your story. Um, yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, to kind of, I didn't have a big dating life during my years in college. I, I was so focused on, um, getting my degree at 21 that I was not thinking about any kind of dating. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had a couple of those, you know, I did, you know, of course I had, you know, guy friends and stuff like that that I went on occasional dates with, but I never really had a, you know, a lot of serious relationships because I had a goal that I was focused on. I had a plan for my life that, that I was focused on at that time. You know, it was like, I, I was checking off boxes, you know, uh, graduate high school. All right. I'm going to go to college and get my degree, um, get my master's degree. And then, you know, marriage and all that kind of stuff will come along as the next checkbox. So, by the time I met uh, my now ex-husband, I was 23 and fresh out of college. I just graduated from FAMU about a, a year or so before. Um, and I was in the process of moving home, and that's when I met him. So at this point, you know, I was a young girl, basically new to the world, because I left the bubble of the HBCU going out into the real world, right. you know. And, you know, it, it, it was it was seemingly... A, a perfect romance and it all you know just seemed to fall in place and while we actually dated for three years I was getting my degree at Tulane so it, you know it, it was all like everything was falling the way it was supposed to fall you know right and um it was very romantic you know he couldn't do any wrong in my eyes you know we, we he wined me he dined me you know we took vacations together you know, all this kind of stuff, and he seemed perfect, but at the same time, there were a lot of red flags that I was overlooking even at that time. There were little bits and pieces of um, signs of coming abuse, you know, it was like little critical things, like, you know, oh, I wouldn't go that way, or you sure you're going to wear that dress out? I don't know about your hair, you know, little things. Right. You know, and some things that we ignore, overlook. we ignore as women, you know, exactly. those little small things. And we may not, um, exactly. we may not really classify that as signs of abuse during that time. And then when you actually look back in hindsight, right. you see where it would actually lead to. So when did you first notice those signs? Exactly. Um, so the signs of abuse did not really fully hit me until maybe you think. 2016, so that was four years into the marriage when I realized wow. something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll say that the abuse was obvious, 
I'll put it that way. Throughout the years, the abuse was obvious. You know, I didn't feel loved. I didn't get affection, all that kind of stuff. But when you're dealing with someone who has symptoms of what's called narcissistic personality disorder, yes, everything is so subtle in the way that they operate. It's like they slowly or slowly pulling out, you know, your self-esteem and your inner essence. And it's such a tiny leak, essentially, that you don't realize it's happening. So in those years before um, 2016, especially, I didn't truly realize the depth in which I was being abused. I didn't even realize that my brain had been reprogrammed until, you know, almost a year, you know, a year before the marriage actually ended. And um, at that point, I was still kind of hanging on. You know, I was pregnant with my second child um, at that time. And my goal was at that point was to just keep my family together, you know, and um also, an interesting bit of history, on my mother's side of the family, no woman has ever gotten a divorce on my mother's side of the family. None. This no matter how good or so bad the much, marriage was, yes. divorce did not exist. <laughs> yes, I was like, this sounds right. so yeah, much I mean, like home. Uh, like, definitely the same yeah. values with my family as well. And your story, just mm-hmm. the it's so much similar to one of my cousins who I've always like, I've looked up to and I admired her so much. And this story is so similar to hers and within those values of the, you know, the family. Yep. Yep. And it was so, so important. It was so important to me, you know, and I was like, I am not going to be the one to break that tradition. You know, yeah. that's what I was thinking. But, um, but by the time, things were ending, I realized, I began realizing, especially toward maybe like the mid-2017 that, um, well, not mid-2017, because the marriage actually, he actually left in July of 17. So yeah, early 2017, a couple of months in, I kind of realized, okay, I, I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, depression had hit me and all kinds of levels, and I wasn't fully understanding um, well, I knew why, but I wasn't fully understanding why I couldn't push myself out of it like I could before. You know what I mean? Like, because um, once upon a time, if he enacted his form of mental abuse or warfare, it was easy for me to push through that, put a smile on my face, and keep moving like nothing was ever happening. But at that point toward the end, I really had a lot of trouble being able to hide what was actually happening to me mentally. And of course, when your mind is messed up, it's going to start showing physically. And so I I was in a very bad place. And the thing was, my family knew the type of man that I married. They'd seen it and they had, um, I was too embarrassed to talk about it myself and come to them. But at the same time, they were trying to talk to me and say, hey, Sharice, it's okay, you know, or whatever. And, but it, somehow, in essence, I still felt alone, even though my parents and other relatives were like, hey, this isn't good for you. And right. it, it had to be, it had to take for me to work up the courage to break free, no matter how many people was, you know, trying to pull me out. Right. It was tough. So, you know, within that journey, when you were mentally drained, when you were exhausted and you really came to the realization that, you know, that this initially isn't the man that you thought was the same person within the courting process, um, like how Mm -hmm. did you get that strength to actually leave? And with you being so private, 
what did you use as an outlet within that process? Because that it had to be mentally mm-hmm. draining, as you stated. So how did you overcome that hurdle? Right. Um, well, to answer your question, what gave me the strength to leave is actually a funny story. Um, my, my ex had a history throughout the marriage of threatening to leave whenever I did something he did not like mm-hmm. all throughout the marriage. And every time, even if, you know, when, even though I'm not at fault, even though he would be the one doing things he wasn't supposed to do and I would confront him about it, he would always start to leave. And he would pack his stuff up, be gone for a night and come back a day or two later. Like that was a constant ongoing cycle. So, um, the final straw for me was when, um, our lights actually got cut off. Um, and I was not, you know, you know, they send those warnings in the mail Right. Uh, from the electric company, like, hey, we're about to cut your power off if you don't pay your bill. Um, I didn't I didn't get that. So uh, I came home in July with my two sons. And, again, New Orleans in July, not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, yeah, that, that's essence. That's festival season. That's everything. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, it, it, yeah, it's it, too doggone hot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got home, the house it was weirdly stuffy was what I what I call it because it was on when I left the house but when I got back home with the kids it was like weirdly stuffy but uh long story short I realized my power was off and I called uh the electric company and sure enough they had cut it off because the bill hadn't been paid so I was livid um I was so upset so I packed up the kids the dog and the cat and uh went over to my parents house to you know, I mean, we couldn't stay in the house. So I, um, I, I, I was upset. I, I, words can't describe how upset I was. I was pissed, basically. And so he got the power on a couple of days later. But because I was still upset, I wasn't ready to come home yet. Because, you know, he let the lights get cut off and didn't even tell me. So because I wasn't ready to go home yet, and because I was upset, he decided to leave. Like this whole thing was my fault, right? And so that was the final, yeah. And so that was the final time. And um, him, and him playing it. the him he, playing the victim throughout all of this when initially was his responsibility, he through, right? Right. He was the victim through everything. Everything he was always the victim. Nothing was ever ever his fault. Even you know when he would lose a job or get fired from whatever. It was never his fault. Nothing mm-hmm. was ever his fault. It was always somehow my fault. Right. Um, and, and stuff like that. So that time when he, he left, um, he said he wasn't coming back, but he expected me to pack up the kids and go with him. And I didn't want to. Right. I didn't want to. It took a lot of strength. But I looked in the mirror and was like, you know, Sharice, this is not the best version of you. And, yeah, and it wasn't, I, my children. I was just about to say, it, it appears that throughout all of this, Sharice, you are able to carry some of the burden and, um, with being married to your ex for so long, but when it affected your entire family and the livelihood, that's when you actually find the strength to walk away when you saw how it affected your kids. And I think that is, exactly. the, you know, the the instincts of a a wife and a mother, right? When you look at the overall experience that you are going through, because it it appears that 
throughout this entire, throughout the entire marriage, you know, you took the good with the bad and you wanted to push forward. You wanted to push through. And I can relate to that, although I'm, right. I'm single, but just the, what you said about no one getting a divorce within your family. My family was the exact same way and bringing it back to mm-hmm. my cousin she was one of, you know, the first people that I had known within our family to get a divorce, but I understood why she did it. And it wasn't just because of her, it was because her children, you know, when that comes into place, you found that inner strength within you to walk away from that type of situation because you don't want your sons to look and see this is the type of behavior that I should have as a young man. You know, children, it's a reflection of their parents and their environment. So, you know, you being able to recognize that is something that was critical Mm -hmm. within you moving forward within this marriage. And even critical within your healing process as well, because you had to be really honest with yourself and the woman in the mirror. So as, as we go into that, can you share a little about your healing process and what role did writing play within your healing process? Um, writing was actually my first step toward my healing process, aside from knowing what I needed to do for my son. Um, Writing was something that I always enjoyed doing ever since I was a little girl. Um, you know, I was bullied as a kid, and I had a little low self-esteem in high school. And so writing actually was my outlet. I created whole new worlds uh, in little notebooks all the time. I, it's really sad to me sometimes because Katrina took away a, 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 a lot big of your portion of them. Mm-hmm. But, um I mean, I, I mean, really, and essentially thinking back, a lot of the characters I created were um, essentially versions of me that I wanted to be and I couldn't be. And so, um, yeah, writing was a very important outlet. And the thing is, the crazy part is throughout that toxic marriage um, and after I became a mom, I wasn't writing at all. So I didn't really have an outlet at all throughout the toxic marriage. So... Fast forwarding into the healing process, you know, I, I just picked up a pen one day and grabbed a notebook and I just began venting everything that I was feeling, but everything just on paper, you know, and, you know, you know it, 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 it was very essential in my healing journey, journey. and um, it slowly it evolved from me venting what I was feeling to venting to God. So now if you see a lot of my recent journals over the last couple of years, it's actually, they are letters to God, like Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father. Every entry starts with that, and I actually talked to him. And that really was essentially a huge step in, to me, starting to uh, know who Sharice was again. And then the next big step that I took was actually going to therapy. Um, right. A lot of people, a lot of people, especially in the black community, they they view therapy as this taboo thing, and you know you belong in the loony bin or something like that. But that's really not the case. And in the case of um, of my journey, my therapist, who is also she's Christian based as well, and she actually opened the door for me to having to dig deep within myself to rediscover who I was and discover why I wound up in the situation that I was in with my ex-husband. And so 
that was a very exhausting process. And I mean, going all the way back from my childhood, all the way up to the present. And it was stuff you don't even think about, like bullying. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, I overcame that moving on. But I didn't realize the stain that it actually left on my mindset when I went from elementary school to high school and then from high school to college. And so, and that's the other side note that I have to mention. I, I was also trying to find who Sharice was from fam, the days at FAMU because I really come into my own at FAMU. I didn't have any family, any friends when I was moving over there. So I really had figured out who I was at that time. And then being in my toxic marriage, I had lost that girl. Right. from fam, the days at FAMU. So my goal was to try to find her and, and on top of that, be a better version of her. So it was a lot of digging mentally. And I mean, it's not just sitting there and telling the story. You were really processing your whole life story to figure out why you are and why you are who you are and how you got to where you are right now. And it actually allowed me to not be ashamed of my journey anymore. It allowed me to actually be grateful for everything I've been through because I am who I am now. Right. And it, 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 so, it definitely yeah, shaped you therapy. into the woman that you are today. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, uh, if, if writing is not the outlet, I definitely recommend to anyone find some sort of outlet for your emotions. And on top of that, that it's okay to have therapy. It's okay to talk to someone. And then you don't have to go pay a licensed therapist. Just find a friend or a family member who you know really genuinely cares for you and can somewhat relate to what you're going through just so that you can have some sort of outlet it's okay to talk to somebody and it's okay to not be okay exactly and you know it's it's ironic that you mentioned that because last week I did an Instagram live on the importance of mental health within the black community and how we often Mm -hmm. you know we we shun upon folks who are going through different things mentally or we don't talk about it or we're taught that we're supposed to be this brave um strong race and you can still be brave you can be strong you can be bold you can be resilient and you can still seek help on certain situations I am um a strong advocate for therapy and mental health I talk to a therapist every single month this was important for me during this process when we talked about the effects mm-hmm. of racial injustices throughout the country, because I am, I'm an advocate and an right. activist. And so that played heavenly on me, but back to your story, that doesn't mm-hmm. take away mm-hmm. from your strength. That doesn't take away from you being able to stand and step into your own. And in fact, it reveals even right. more of a stronger woman because you had to take those deep dives into what, plagued or happened within your childhood through your adolescent years to Mm -hmm. you being in college to your young adulthood through your marriage to lead you to where you were currently standing so you know that was extremely important within your within your own healing process and another thing that stuck out to me was you when you were in your marriage and when you you know focused on being a wife and a mother you lost sight of something so small that you love which was writing and it wasn't yeah. until you quote unquote had hit rock bottom that it brought you back to mm-hmm. what you once loved and ironically that was a sense of healing for you so that you know sharing that was. was powerful within itself you know often in life we lose sight of the simple things that we once love that once gave us joy and it's sometimes the right. things that are right in front of us 
that we have to grab and go back to in order for us to feel somewhat normal, back to what we once were. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that piece. And um, I also want to talk about your no journey in, in real estate, right? So was this something new? Mm-hmm. Was this a new career that was launched after your marriage? No, actually, um, it, it was, uh, uh, I put it this way, I attempted to launch it during my marriage. Um, I got my license in 2015, and um, however, I had a hard time being able to practice real estate during that time. Um, uh, well, ironically, like maybe a month or two after getting my license, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. So that was already kind of like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. But at the same time, I was still, in the, still feeling the weight and the abuse at home of, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't really even get the support, emotional support that I needed to be able to push in my career. You know, I was hearing things like, you know, you, you can't do it or you can't handle this or you, you can't be a mom and a career woman. You don't know how to handle any of that. And on top of that, it, you know, being pregnant, it was like, how are you going to handle being a mom of two kids and you can't even be a real estate agent? You know, it was all those little things that were, those little seeds of doubt that were being planted in my head. So while I had my license and kept it up, my career truly didn't start until um, end of 2018, early 2019, somewhere in there. And that's when I really began to thrive and, and began to thrive in my career. And that's when I really... Um, you know, learn that it ties into everything that I'm currently doing now. Um, I've met a lot of clients. Quite a few of my clients have their own stories to tell. You know, one of my favorites is uh, she's a single mom to two boys. Um, Unfortunately, she had lost her husband and she was looking to just create a new start in her life for her and her little boys who are around the same age as mine. You know, I've helped single mothers and, you know, look for homes and things like that. And it, it's a lot of similar stories that I'm able to share with some of my clients. And then the, the story of being able to, the process of being able to buy a home is not an easy one either. It's so right. easy when you go through the process of buying a home, you got to get your credit straight. You got to save money for your down payment. You know, you got to hope the loan goes through. Oh, you find the house, they're like, but there's something wrong with the house. There's all these little wrenches that's being thrown at you even in that process. And then, you know, the thing that I love as, as part of my job as a real estate agent is not only to teach my clients and hold their hand through the process and do what I'm supposed to do, but to also um, encourage them through, through this process. You know, it's just so easy to get discouraged. It's so, so easy. If people right. think, oh, it's not meant for me, I can't do it. And at the end of the day, the next thing you know, after all these encouraging moments and, and things like that, we're, we're at the closing table and these, these people are starting their new chapters in their lives. And that is so satisfying to me. Right. To see my clients being able to get the key to their house or they sell their home and they're about to go into another house that they've always wanted or whatever the case may be. And so... um it has helped a lot and helping, you know, it's, it's allowed me to meet people one-on-one as well. And we're able to share each other's stories. And then on top of that, I'm able to push my clients to be inspired to keep pushing and moving through so that can, they can, you know, get their dream home or start that new chapter, you know? Right. It means a lot. It, it's always within helping others. You also 
feel um, just, you know, a, a sense of, of, of happiness within that process as well, when you're able to help someone else accomplish right. their goals. Um, so like, what advice mm-hmm. would you give to, you know, a wife or a mother who has to start a new or who is, you know, going into a career, but it's different from once they once were used to, you know, just a new life, leaving what they once knew. Mm-hmm. Um, my advice to those those women are just to, it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, it's okay. There's always going to be levels of discomfort when there's a change happening in your life, no matter what. It's so easy to be complacent and content. But when you move to the next level or when you start flying and going up, up in the sky and you're soaring, it's gonna be, it's gonna seem a little a little uncomfortable. Um, it's so easy to be buried in the rubble or you know, you know, under all these rocks and dirt and just be content and just like okay, I'm gonna just lay here. But at the end of the day, like a phoenix is what, which is really my my logo is not a phoenix just for for no reason. Um, the phoenix eventually she's going to be reborn and she's going to rise up out of that dirt and she's going to start soaring like no tomorrow. And the thing is, we have to remember though, we're all still human. So as as a phoenix, you're soaring and you're flying and you're breaking through ceilings nonstop. But every now and again, you're going to run into a ceiling that's a little harder to break than others. And it's so easy, you know, you hit your head and then all of a sudden you're going to fall back down for a second you might feel a little dirt get on you. And as I always say, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, let the dirt sit for a minute. Just sit for a minute. Meditate. But remember, God's right there to grab you by the hand and get you back up on your feet and make you get back up there and fly again. Because remember, you already broke up the ceilings before. So if you can get, do it before, you're going to do it again. And then you're going to fly even faster and even harder to break that hard ceiling that you had trouble breaking before. Yes. And all of a sudden, bam. You know, that, that change has happened, and you're happy, and you're where you need to be, and you realize, yeah, it was a little harder, but it was worth that fight. So mm. my advice to the women is, yeah, it, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable to deal with the change in a new career, even new relationship, moving to a new town, buying a new house. It's going to be uncomfortable, but I promise you the journey will be worth it when you get to that next level. Love it, love it. And again, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, when you are uncomfortable, again, yeah. that is when you, you actually grow, you produce growth. So, um, you yeah. So connecting that to the Phoenix, I love that. And I love when we have different trademarks and logos and things that really hold such significance to us within our journey. So, um, mm-hmm. and as we were talking about real estate, yeah. um, I, I did want to ask you, uh, one more question focused on that because, again, my own personal mm-hmm. journey. Um, just this past year, um, right now, well, currently, I'm renting out a condo, and my landlord's wife had contacted me. Unfortunately, um, he is battling uh, cancer and it's terminal. And when she reached out to me, she oh, had wow. said that, um, you know, they were going to sell the condo, and of course, they wanted to offer it to me first. And so I, you know, I, I hopped mm-hmm. on it. Right. But I went 
on this journey and knowing that my savings is not what it should be, okay? <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I went right. So I went on this journey, and of course, like you said, the small steps, the credit score, all of that stuff was great. Um, and I qualified for an FHA loan, but of course, um, the condo didn't meet the HUD qualifications. So I did not have the resources at the time to meet, uh, you know, uh, I guess a conventional or a traditional loan during this right. process. So of course now I'm still here. Um, my lease isn't up until April, 2021, but my question okay. to you is like with the housing market, like what do you think that the housing market will look like within the next year or so for someone that may be in a situation like me who will be looking to purchase a, a property in 2021 and looking at the reality of what's going on right now with COVID-19 with folks, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. not even being able to stay afloat and um, just the housing market within New Orleans right. in general, um, I, I feel is it's not mm-hmm. the best housing market. You know, when I was looking at different properties mm-hmm. on the no. outskirts of New Orleans, <laughs> such as Kenner and Metairie and, you know, the, and it's, it's always funny to me because of course, and you being from New Orleans, born and raised, like people from New Orleans, you know, like Algiers and, and Morevro and Harvey, that's not the city. Yeah, so it's like, the I'm West Bank. <laughs> right, the West Bank, that's not the city. You know, of course, Metairie, that's definitely not the city. But I always, like, I think about these no. things when <laughs> purchasing property, thinking about just, like, family and friends, and even, like, with with uh, travel and things like that to work. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, like, I don't want to live too far from from such and such. And I want to make sure that I'm at least 15, 20 minutes from this area. But you know, that, Uh that, um, is it, (laughs) that doesn't really affect me as much. Cause like, again, I'm not from here. So 15, 20 minutes to me means nothing to me. If it's a home. 15, 20 minutes is nothing to me. Right. I'm looking at the property value. Right. Like and I'm looking at the property yeah. value. I'm looking at the safety. I'm looking at me being a single black woman. Like putting all those things into perspective. But just you know, what do you think that the housing market will be like within the next year? And what advice again do you give to those first time home buyers during this time as we are faced with so many different things mm-hmm. with the economy? Um. Okay. Well, here, there's a, actually a lot that has gone on in real estate. Um, since this whole COVID-19 pandemic has started. Um, and, and that's, well, to rewind back into how New Orleans, New Orleans, the New Orleans area operates as a city. Yeah, if they are not in the area near where work or school is, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They don't want to do the commute or anything like that. And I'm like, New Orleans, look, New Orleans combined with Metairie and Slidell and, the West Bank, it doesn't even equate to the size of in Atlanta or in L.A. Right. Or, or even Houston, like, you know? Oh, like, why are, we, why are we complaining, y'all? Right. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, um, but back on the, on the series, though, COVID-19, um, while it has affected the New Orleans market slightly, um, I always say that it's still a really good time to buy. Actually, COVID-19 actually benefited in terms of situations with loans and things like that, because it actually dropped a lot of the, and caused a lot of the interest rates to drop um, with a lot of the banking institutions. So things have been lingering around, you know, 
four, going to four with two, you know, going back up to three. And it's, it's, so it's really been fluctuating. But it's been staying low. But it's been fluctuating in those low numbers and interest rates. Um, in the case of Louisiana and the city of New Orleans, there are first-time home buyers programs out there. Um, locally in Orleans Parish, there's a first-time home buyers program where you can get uh, pre-approved, I believe, up to like 43000 in down payment assistance and $6,000 in closing costs for Orleans Parish. And then Louisiana as a state, it's up to $35,000 in down payment assistance and $5,000 in closing cost assistance. So I always tell buyers, or potential buyers, if you want to try to buy, get your stuff straight now and do it. Because, I mean, you can't say no to these, these programs that they have out here. Um, in terms of the market, though, it is beginning to change slightly in terms of um, what whose market it is. Because the, the number of buyers out there is starting to increase. And the number of sellers out there are starting to slightly decrease because, of course, COVID-19, you know, people don't want random people walking in their house and they don't want to, you know, just want anything to spread to them, things like that. Right. So New Orleans as a market has been doing surprisingly well, though, um, despite all of this. Um, now, what is next year going to bring uh, in terms of 2021? I will say that depends on where we are with this pandemic. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest um, because the pandemic has affected a lot of people and you know in terms of their jobs and stuff like that and unfortunately lenders can't pre-approve people who don't have an income right. it's unfortunate but um, but in terms of the market itself for those who are able to purchase definitely keep I would definitely recommend keep keeping on going for it and in terms of how location has been working in New Orleans kind of interesting um when the market crashed in 2008 new orleans was actually not really affected by that crash reason being we were still recovering from katrina right so what happened was after katrina the city and and what's happening is it's starting in the middle and it's spreading itself out so when katrina after Katrina, the first thing was to get, you know, the French border, downtown, uptown, everything in the middle of the city. And what it's doing now is spreading out. And so now we're going on, what, 15 years this year? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going further out. And what it's doing is it's starting to hit Gentilly. And slowly but surely New Orleans Beach is going to start getting a pickup. It may be another five years from now, maybe another 10 years from now. Obviously, it's slow and steady. But we don't know how long it will take. So I always tell people, try to buy in the outer areas first. Because in the future, you you will see some equity there. I know this is is an issue, but you also got to think about the value and that it's going to add to your family and what it can do for your family in the future. So I always recommend if you, you know, if you want to start off small, if you're a first-time home buyer, definitely start outside the city because that's what it's doing. It's working its way out. So West Bank the best bank, right? <laughs> the West Bank, the West Bank shot up like no tomorrow. I'm not even gonna yeah. go there. But I'm gonna say go east, go east. That there you go. You'll get better shots going east. The West Bank, I, I can't even understand it. Maybe because I, I grew up an East Baker, but. I'm still trying to figure out what the big deal is about the West Bank. No offense to U.S. bankers out there. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a nice area. It's great, you know. But, you know, but that's, really, know that's really interesting that you said go east because 
I've heard, um, you know, I've gotten different feedback about buying and investing in the East during this time. But it's interesting that you said that. And it's important to get different people's opinions, especially those who are working within the, the market as well. Right. The East is really, um, people are sleeping on it. I'll put it that way. People are really sleeping on the East. I mean, you know, it, it's really because of the bad rap that it's been getting from the media. You know, you turn on the news, oh, you know, murder in New Orleans East and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's really, people need to understand that crime is all over. Right. And, you know, so it's, trust, and I grew up in the East. So I, I can tell you, living in the East now, it's not as bad, it's not as, bad as the media is making it out to be. But, um, but yeah, but the East is really a good spot to, you know, to start in terms of investment. They have a lot of great properties out here, you know, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not trying to push everybody yeah. you know, <laughs> to where they want to move to, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but you can get really some really nice properties in the East and make some bank work back here just because in the future, the East is going to be next in terms of uh, value and things like that. Again, it may be five years, it may be 10 years, but you want to have it lined up so that you'll be able to build your equity on your home. Got it. So, yeah. That's, yeah, but that's anywhere, though. Yeah. <laughs> Do it anywhere. But, yeah. Yeah, the East is coming, slowly but surely. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for your feedback with that. So, you know, it's we had a, an amazing conversation, you know, um, starting off with your yes, journey we yes, we from did. dating to marriage to motherhood to healing to your career and advice to giving those and even um, very pertinent advice as it relates to the housing market and first time uh, home buying. So this is definitely mm-hmm. a conversation where many gems were being dropped. So um, definitely encouraging listeners during this time to pass on this knowledge, to share this episode with other folks. And um, also, can you just give your contact information, you know, as it relates to your blog and real estate and your Instagram, social media, how can people reach you? There's so many de- different ways I can write you a list. But <laughs> um <laughs> I have the work email and then I have the blog email, but you can reach me through the blog too. It's, it's no, it's uh, not a big issue. But on Instagram, uh, my name is uh, Sharice Laron, all one word, C H E R I S E L A R O N, and um, that will that that's the condensed way to put it. And over there, you'll find the link to the blog. You'll find you know info on the real estate. And if anybody has questions, they can reach out to me there. And if they want, they can email me too at sharicelaron at gmail.com. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Sharice. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I, I had a blast. I really did. Yes. So, you know, audience, listeners, in closing, always remember your story is not solely for you. It's meant to be shared with other women and to provide hope to those facing similar hurdles. You don't have to be ashamed and you definitely don't have to be afraid to share. You are a victor, you are a winner, and you will not be defeated. You declare growth and prosperity over your life and troubles don't last always. You are brilliant, bold, and beautiful. You are her.
heroic, empowering, and resilient. And again, if you are inspired, uplifted, encouraged, motivated in any way, please tell a friend to tell a friend and share this episode of Her Story Podcast. It is available on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, and Google. And follow us on Instagram at herstory underscore podcast. And again, this is Jay Jameson with Her Story Podcast, and we're out.